Warning, this episode has explicit content and is definitely not safe for kids. Please listen when they may not be present. My ultimate fantasy was the ability to mold three or four guys together to make the perfect mate. I'd get emotional security from this guy, financial security from the other one, sexual chemistry with that one over there, and good old-fashioned best friend vibes with some other fool. (laughs) It was like a revolving door of stand-in dudes for whatever need I had to fill in the moment. When you think of an addict, what grows through your head? Do you get an image of a junkie on a street with a needle sticking out of their arm or flashbacks of old episodes of intervention? Isn't it crazy how much TV and media shape how we think? But what if addiction isn't so obvious? What if it is much closer than you think? I got the pleasure to have Brienne Davis on the show. Brienne is a Hollywood actress and a sex and love addict. And Brienne has guest starred in movies like Jarhead with Jake Gyllenhaal and countless TV shows like CSI and Nip Tuck and True Blood and so many more. She's the author of the new book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict and the host of the Secret Life podcast. And I have to say, I love talking to Brienne. I think you'll be surprised to hear that her experiences craving love and attention and touch and yes, sex are so relatable. And then you throw Hollywood in the mix. Oh my goodness. She's hilarious. It is so relatable. She's absolutely knockout, drop dead, smoke show gorgeous and thrilling as she takes us through her experiences. But I have a quick note though. I must have had some weird recording issues on my end where some of the audio where I'm talking will kind of clip out. So I'll ask for your grace and forgiveness as the sound quality isn't what I would hope when I'm speaking, but Brienne's is flawless. So at least her side, uh, and she's doing most of the talking here, um, is flawless and is well worth the time. You're going to learn so much. And I do want to ask, are you listening to this on Apple Podcasts? You may know if you are listening to it on Apple. Apple made a change recently where you don't subscribe anymore. You follow. So if you're listening on Apple, can you go to this episode right now? Click on the drop down where it says go to show. And when you get there, click on the plus button in the top right corner and boom, you'll get these important conversations delivered right to you every time I publish Culture Changers. Also, I am sharing my most personal updates about my journey on my blog. Make sure you subscribe to get my emails as they tend to strike a nerve on the responses that I get. Go to allisonhair.com and let's stay in touch. Here's my chat with Hollywood sex and love addict, Brienne Davis. There is one in your book that just stopped me cold. Can I read it? Yes, please. My ultimate fantasy was the ability to mold three or four guys together to make the perfect mate. I'd get emotional security from this guy, financial security from the other one, sexual chemistry with that one over there, 
and good old-fashioned best friend vibes with some other fool. (laughs) It was like a revolving door of stand-in dudes for whatever need I had to fill in the moment. Wow. Mm. I have felt this way. I sound like the best person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) No, I... So relatable to that is, I think, especially as I think about my dating life, mm-hmm. as you have kind of unfolded your uh, sex addiction and your mm-hmm. love addiction and where it came from, so much of it is relatable. So much, I feel that way. I felt that way, you know, dating. I'm wondering yeah. how, when you were a sex and love addict, where where was that switch? I mean, there was always moments and we call them bottoms where you're like, whoa, what is going on here? I just had this crazy moment. It was almost like uh, the night of the soul moment, the dark night of the soul where I was looking in a mirror and I had this boyfriend I really cared about and loved as much as I could love someone. And then I was, was flirting and intriguing with someone I didn't even like. And I had this moment like, wow, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Am I going to be compartmentalizing my needs with other people? Am I always going to be split? Am I never fully going to have my feet in a, re- a full relationship? And I just had this like I was on location shooting a movie and I looked in the mirror and I was like, wow, am I going to be doing this when I'm 80? That will be a travesty to never be fully connected to another person. And I really had to look at my life and see, wow, I reached out to these guys to be friends with or these guys to like take me out to dinner and this one to be sexually attracted to. And it just was like in my face and I couldn't ignore it anymore. I think what's crazy about your story, because you've spent a lot of time, is that we are in the validation, you know, like so yeah. much. How do you even unwind yourself from that? What What is, uh, again, I, I still am unclear of the click of, I feel, I don't think I'm a sex and love addict, but after reading your book, I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe I am. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> I uh, I have that. So from a validation junkie with Instagram, with you know, social media, mm-hmm. where does, where does that line even start? And- oh my God. I honestly believe that almost all of society is a- addicted to validation and attention. Honestly, I mean, the people I work with around the world and watch and in the program that I'm in is the 12 step program of sex and love addicts anonymous. It's a big problem. And we attach that to love. And a lot of people are love addicts where they're searching for that perfect person to complete them, that soulmate. And they go online and they just like, give me attention, give me validation, give me my worth. And I feel like we're all walking around in this world, like raping other people of their energy to fill us. So I'm not surprised you said that. Honestly, almost probably 99% of the people that read my book go, oh my God, I do some of that. But our society amplifies it. Our society says it's okay. The movies we watch, the songs we listen to, it's like find that unrequited love, get that person to love you, get that unavailable man to like accept you and change their mind, you know, put on that facade to be your perfect self so you can attract as many attention, likes, and all of that. So it's really hard. It's one of the hardest addictions, you know, usually under a chemical addiction with drugs and alcohol under, you know, family problems is relationship issues. Like our society doesn't teach us to have healthy relationships and what oh that God, looks like. Oh my God, that's so true. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Do you feel like it is perpetuating some of the, you know, like obviously the places where we grew up and that kind of thing? Do you feel like it is almost like an ancestral 
thing that you need to break a cycle? What? How do we fix that problem? I mean, it is, it's a full like rebirth of society is what I feel. And I think, you know, with the availability of porn, social media, it's amplifying our disconnection, our disconnection from each other and our disconnection from ourselves. You know, we go online because we're bored. We go online because we feel bad about ourselves or we're feeling great. We go online and we like feel shitty afterwards. And it's just like we are amplifying this already disconnection in our world. And honestly, it's the hardest thing to break. I mean, I still have trouble with social media. I have a lot of boundaries and rules around how often I can go on because I am an attention. Oh, yeah. And this is like almost 12 years of sobriety and sex and love addiction. I'm an old timer. Like it's really hard to get recovery in my program. I think 5% of the people stick around. But we are having these. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. People, it's a big program on slipping. They say, you know, AA is like the last house on the block people want to go to, but they call Slaw, that's Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, they call Slaw the shack in the back like nobody wants to go to. (laughs) I mean, we have people that come in with 30 years in AA and they're like, I've been dreading coming to this room. It's like, it's just where the rubber meets the road, right? It's like, we are addicted to people. Society is addicted to people, this fantasy, this, all that stuff. And it, it it's brutal. It's brutal to let go of. It's brutal to just sit with yourself and be okay with just who you are, not having a partner, not having the new clothes, the new look, the new person telling you how great you are more followers, more likes. It doesn't mean anything. And I just feel like we're all blind. And I'm here to, I guess, open it up. (laughs) You're a tough cookie here because you are in LA. I mean, you're an Mm -hmm. actress. You are paid to be somebody else. Exactly. if, If you're looking at Hollywood, right? So people put actresses, actors, you know, models, they put people on a pedestal. And there is a, a level of perfection there. Again, there are people that are paid to be somebody else. And there's so much uh, the the reputation being superficial. And I'm wondering, being in that place, how did you, I, I imagine that you probably weren't the only one feeling that way and maybe taking, not taking advantage, but people taking advantage of of those conditions to kind of, what is, what is it like to be in Hollywood and go to these, you know, lavish Hollywood parties? And and also have this addiction and know that you're probably not the only one. Oh, I for 100% know I'm not the only one. I mean, I, I write about it in the book. I go to sets, parties, and I'm like, you're a sex addict. You're a sex and love addict. You're sleeping with the wardrobe person. You're cheating on your wow. wife. Like, I can literally diagnose people. And here's the beautiful thing about L.A. It is a city of superficial, of artificial, of, you know, this perfect facade, but I know after 20 plus years of working in this industry that no job, no billboard, no amount of money, no any of that is never going to fix you. And I, you walk into a room of Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous and you'll see an A-list celebrity. You'll see a top producer. You'll see a janitor. You'll see a woman that works the daycare. It's all walks of life. And the best thing is the best sobriety in sex and love addiction is in Los Angeles. We're the number one. We have the most meetings. We have the most recovery. And then it's it's New York. And then it's London. And then it's Sydney, Australia. So it's like, 
I'm proud to be in Los Angeles. I'm proud to be in this facade and know that it doesn't matter. And my therapist actually told me, she's like, you picked the worst career for your addiction. You always want to be somebody else. You live in fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, you live in fantasy. You're addicted to falling in love. You're addicted to someone completing you. And you like to disconnect from your body. Like, you need to get out of your business. (laughs) That's what she told me. (laughs) Wow. But you're still... I mean, you're still doing it. You're in all these amazing movies and that kind of thing. I'm curious. So you are now married in a committed marriage, correct? With a a cute little son. He's gorgeous. He's like a cool kid. (laughs) He's so cool. He's like the coolest, sweetest. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's the kindest. He's, you know, he's just, he makes me a better person. And my husband does too. So... Yeah, I'm I'm married. I'm still acting. I'm, you know, but I go to 14 meetings a week for my program. 14? I sponsor people all over the world. 14 wow. meetings. I go to more meetings now than when I started 12 years ago. Yeah, most of them are on Zoom because of COVID. But mm-hmm. even when COVID wasn't around, I was going to five meetings a week, six meetings sometimes a week because it's like a massage for my soul. If I don't work my program harder than I work my marriage, than being a mother, than my career, than the books, you know, all, if I don't work my sobriety, then I will be acting out in a matter of weeks because I'm an addict. You know, I'm addicted to people. I drink people like people drink alcohol or snort. I like to say I snort people. (laughs) Like I like to like (laughs) take on their energy, but I know now, you know, when I get a job, when I go on, on location that, I'm just a worker among workers. I'm not unique. I'm not special. I'm there to be of service to other people. And it's not about ego anymore. It's not about fill me, give me attention, give me validation. And for so long, that's what I was doing. And I was miserable. And here's another thing. A lot of people in Hollywood that have the houses, have the clothes, have everything you think you you want to be happy, and they're miserable. And, and they're in the room struggling. So the outside doesn't mean anything. And I think our society compares other people's outsides to our insides. And that's where I stopped mm-hmm. doing it. So I wonder, um, in the book, you yeah. would mention, I'm, I'm trying to be careful because it's really hard for me to even say these words, but people would call you or you would call yourself. People would say, are you a call girl? They would, yeah. you would refer, be referred to as a whore. Mm-hmm. Those words are really triggering. How? What is your relationship to those words now? You know, I, I, they don't hit me like they used to. I think I've let go of the last bit of shame and stigma, and I know that everybody has done things they are not proud of, or you know, wouldn't morally do or put myself in situations that I wouldn't do if I was sober and. Now I can look at it and go, that was just a time in my life. I've done bad things. You know, I've cheated. I've lied. I've stolen. I've done things to get my needs met that I'm not proud of, but it doesn't define me as a person. So those words just roll off my back. You know, when I came out and wrote the article for HuffPost before the book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict came out, I remember the morning HuffPost article was was coming out. And I kid you not, I was like, what am I doing? I ruined my life, my career. Nobody's going to hire me. Like all the fear came on me. And I was like, oh my God, my world is going to end. And you know what happened? Two hours later, nothing happened. <laughs> I was like, 
Okay, humble it though. What made you go public with it? Why was it so important for you to use that medium? Well, first of all, no one talks about sex and love addiction. There's so much stigma and shame, especially as a woman. When you hear about sex addiction, you think about a man cheating on their wife, having to go to sex rehab. And I was just getting tired of the secrets of it. And what really broke open the wound is I got my 10 years of recovery and I had my gold chip in my hand and this like... I don't know, this thing came over me, like my God or my higher power was like, okay, now you need to do more. You've been a you've been of service over a decade to your community all over the world. You've spoken all over the world in recovery centers. And now you need to do more. And then what happened is all these young people came in this one meeting. We're talking like 19, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds saying they were addicted to porn, saying they couldn't connect with partners. They couldn't find their true intimacy. They didn't know how to handle their sexuality. They felt like they it was overtaking them. All these things. And I was sitting in this room with all these young kids. And I, and I went in late. I went in my late 20s. And I was like, this is why I have to do what I have to do. Like it was this, mm. I never wanted to break my anonymity. You actually aren't supposed to break your anonymity in sex and love addiction. It's, it's more, it's more, stigma than AA, like nobody wants to talk about it. And I just, I just said, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, if this, then I'll do it. And all these things, you know, the book came about the, the podcast, the articles, and I just stepped into that. And I thought, you know, I'm taken care of. People can call me, you know, people, you know, wrote in for the HuffPost article. She's just using her look. She's an actor. She can get away with it. She's a whore. She's a slut. All those things. Mm. And it just rolled off my back because I know my truth because I've done the work. And I'm not saying you should go out and say, hey, I have this problem, but I have a decade of recovery. You can say anything to me. You can judge me. You can do any of that. And it's okay. Like, I'm okay. You can take everything away from me and I will be okay. You can take my husband. You can take my career. You can take my money. You can take everything. But you can't take the work I did on myself. That's mine. No one can take that. Oh, it's powerful. Knockout. Oh my God, you're so gorgeous. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, what I thought was so interesting about your book is you go into graphic detail of mm-hmm. some of these escapades. And what I thought, what kind of stood out to me is how much you loved secrets, how much you loved. You almost personified and got giddy over the lies that you had told and trying to keep them straight because you uh, are, I guess, the kind of sex and love addict that didn't have a shit ton of partners, but you would never have just one partner that you would always cheat. And it was like this fantasy that you got to live out. And I wonder, do you miss that? You're stable. Like, do you get triggered today? You know, I mean, I'm an addict girl. Like I'm an addict through and through. And I can't have any secrets or lies at all because what that does is it disconnects me from my partner, from a friend, from anybody. It cuts off that authenticity. And when I do that, I just, it's like a snowball effect. So yes, do I miss having secret and li- secrets and lies? Do I miss having power and control over another individual? Of course I do. Falling in love is the biggest high. Making someone love you is like the best high in the world. But I just, I can't afford it. I can't afford to have guy friends. I don't have any guy friends. 
like unless they're in my program. Yeah, unless they're in my program. But I don't call guys. I don't go on coffee dates. I don't, I just don't go there. And it's not that I don't trust myself. I just know it's not good for me. It's not, it's not healthy. Mm. It's not healthy for my marriage. So I don't reach out to any men. I don't really talk, text, email, unless they're in my program and they have a lot of years of recovery. I have a lot of fellows that way. But yeah, I just have really strict boundaries. But believe me, I have a couple friends, like, you know, in the book, cool girl, tattoo girl, you know, <laughs> that get I to love still your act out. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so I think it's funny <laughs> how you yeah. kind of personified all of those in your book. <laughs> well, because those people exist. You know, that hot tattoo girl that you're like, oh, that girl, you know, that can get away with dating scumbags or like cool girl playing the cool girl, like that quintessential, always looks perfect, perfectly tanned, you know? So I just tried to like embody, you know, a person or a combination of people in my life that you will never know who I'm talking about, hopefully. And, you know, just saying like when they are acting out, of course it triggers me because a part of me is like, why can they do it? And I can't Mm. do it. Like, Mm -hmm. but I can't. I can't afford to be numb anymore in my lifetime. I've wasted too many years numbing out with other people. And it just, it's not fair to other people. It's not fair to me. And I just, that's my, that's my journey. But yeah, I get triggered sometimes. And, but I'll say it to my husband, you know, I'll be like, oh my God, she just triggered me. Like, or I had a dream the other night where it was like an ex uh, showed up in my dream and that doesn't mean anything. And, um, I was like, oh, my God, it triggered me so bad. But that's having open communication with your husband. And he's in AA for 32 years. So he understands, like, the addiction aspect. Yeah, and it's not like a jealousy. Isn't he? Yeah. Uh, like a uh, – I, I heard you guys on a podcast. I thought it was so fascinating about money. And yes. that he was, uh, he was way, way, way into debt or gambling or something. I'm not yeah. sure if I have it right. But that we must do. be really interesting to have kind of the – two addicts together really fighting, you know, yeah. fighting the the physiological urge. And I'm, I'm curious from a sex and I think we understand as a society, drugs and alcohol addiction, and we understand mm-hmm. that's a disease, you know, it like rewires your brain, but from a sex and love ad- addiction, mm-hmm. you, you know, it is called a disease. Yes. It happens physiologically in your body that makes it a disease. Can you, can you tell me, I, I'm, I really don't know. Well, okay, let's talk about the money. Yeah, my husband has 10 10 years in Debtors Anonymous, and he has 32 years in AA. And the beautiful thing is he has the chemical addiction, which we everybody knows mm-hmm. about, like you said, drugs yeah. and alcohol. But he has some progressive brain disease too. And that's what, you know, overeaters, anorexics, people that spend money, shopaholics, you know, addicted to gambling, and sex and love addiction are a progressive brain disease. It is – it. It releases the same endorphins as alcohol and drugs. Sex is the same endorphins of someone shooting heroin. So for me, you know, when I feel, and I talk about it in the book, there's that moment I pull up to the In-N-Out Burger and mm-hmm. that that 15-year-old kid that worked at In-N-Out Burger and he was attracted to me and he was like, oh, he made this thing when he saw me. And I kid you not, girl, like it was heroin up my arm, the the power I felt over this 15-year-old that worked the In-N-Out drive-thru <laughs> shot up my body and just my entire body was on fire. And I was like, holy crap. 
I'm going to have this the rest of my life. I just get high off people being attracted to me or having control over them. them. And it's the same thing with money. Think about people are gambling and pulling that. There's a high when you win, you know? So it's the same It's the same thing as drugs and alcohol. It's actually sometimes harder to get over because you can't get rid of money. You have to have money in your life. You can't Mm -hmm. get rid of relationships in your life. You can't get rid of food. So you have to get rid of things and then bring them back in a healthy way. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And lots of people don't want to do that work. I'm dying to ask. Mm -hmm. Thank you for framing that. I'm dying to ask you, have you seen the show Sex Life on Netflix? Do you know about it? Yes, I know it. And I know the author. And no, I'm not. I don't watch programs like that. I don't watch like Mm -hmm. The Notebook, Moulin Rouge or anything that's (laughs) overly graphic in the fantasy going back to an ex acting out this sexuality. I don't, I just, it's not healthy for me. So I have a lot of boundaries about what movies I can watch. Um, what songs I can listen to, and I still have them after a decade. So yeah, no, I haven't watched that is it. So <laughs> wild. So this whole sex series was kind of born, up, and so yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with it. And what I think is interesting is I, I related to that rush that you felt, you know. Mm-hmm. So as I'm watching this, I'm in a committed, full, happy marriage, and we have two kids, and you know, I I am unbelievably grateful for my husband. And as I'm watching this, the 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 concept be- behind sex life is there's a happily married woman. She has everything she wants, hot husband, perfect kids, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And she keeps fantasy and is so busy with other things about her ex-boyfriend and his hot, yeah. sexy world. And I remember I watched it. I'm like, oh, I remember that feeling that. And so all my girlfriends have gotten together talking about that rush. And I'm curious for you, Brianne, what does mm-hmm. a rush look like? What What is exciting to you? You know, that rush you're talking about is actually not real. Okay. First of all, those two actors are now together. She left her marriage. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, that intensity of passion that is illustrated in that show does not last. That cannot make a relationship last. That's what society and and our world amplifies is what needs to always be present. My experience is a healthy relationship. There's no rush. There's no high. The moment mm. I feel high off a sex act with my husband, um, watching something, that to me is a red so- red flag. <laughs> like it's like eh, yeah. abort mission, okay, abort yeah. mission. So y- you should not be getting high off of any of that. But yes, the butterflies, the intensity, the the dirtiness. I was addicted to all of that. But it just it's interesting to me that that's what we are always looking for. But that's mm-hmm. not what a real healthy relationship looks like in the long run. Mm. So it sounds like you have very clear boundaries that you've, what mm-hmm. does feeling good look look like to you? Is it just not having those triggers or what, you know, what brings you joy? Oh, I love that question. You know, the other day during the middle of the, the day, I didn't have any meetings. I didn't have, my husband didn't either. And we sat on the couch and we both read books. Like 
that brought me so much joy, that intimacy sitting together, but not having to talk or communicate and just being next to each other and having a partner for life. You know, what gives me joy is if I'm having a really hard day and instead of like going into fantasy in my head, wanting to escape my reality, if my son's having a tantrum or, you know, I didn't get that job or I would always just want to relocate and go somewhere else. And if I couldn't, I would go on my brain somewhere else. But now I get to stay present with those feelings. I get to feel them. I get to communicate with my partner about them. And he's like, oh, me too. And we get to discuss it and have actual intimacy, you know, and 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 what else brings me joy is, you know, to be with my son and my husband and I are holding hands on a walk and we kiss in front of my son and we're... Oh my God, I'm going to cry. And we're modeling and we're modeling for my son what a healthy marriage looks like. And I just never had that. I never had, I got to see like the drama, fighting over finances, you know, hating each other, then staying together. And I just had such a warped view of what a healthy marriage looked like, especially from my parents. And I, t- I now get to model that for my son so that mm. he doesn't go in the world wanting people to complete him, to fill him, to give him that worth, to, you know, search for that soulmate. And it's really important to me to know that I'm my own fucking soulmate. I give myself the joy. Nobody else is responsible to get me high, to make me feel sexy as a woman, to to make me feel worthy. I get to give that to myself. And it's the icing on the cake that I get to be in a committed marriage where there's no secrets or lies. And those simple moments is what brings me joy. That is so beautiful, Brienne. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I find that um, every person I know that has and has kind of come on another side where they have kind of found their boundaries are far more present than anybody else I know and have so oh. much more wisdom than... Uh, you know, like wisdom I wish I had, you know, wisdom and presence no. I wish I had. Recovering addicts, I have to say, are my favorite type of people in this world because they've been to the darkest of the dark. So they know there. There's like no judgment. There's no, you could, you will tell them something or tell me something. And I got, I was like, yeah, me too. I've done that. Or I know someone mm-hmm. that done that. Or I almost did that. Or I had thoughts of doing that. And it's like, we've gone through the darkness and come out on the other light And that is like the most beautiful thing. I think there was a quote I put in the book about, you know, religious people are scared of going to hell, but, you know, addicts, we've, we're spiritual because we've already been to hell and we've come back now. So it's like, I just find that those types of people, I just, I gravitate towards because there's a realness, there's no judgment, there's no shame. And it's like, we are all all in this together and trying to be better on this planet. What do you people get wrong about addicts? What would you love for people to know? Well, the thing I love to say is everybody has an ism, right? Everybody goes to do something not to live in their reality, whether it's shopping online, whether it's excessive beauty treatments, whether it's going on Netflix and numbing out, going on Facebook, going on Instagram, name it. Everybody has an ism. Everybody does something not to feel their feelings. And that's what an addict does. You know, we just majority use chemicals, alcohol, drugs, but 
everybody has an ism. You are not very much different than other addicts. We just go to extreme. We just have, we put our self-hatred out there more than you do. We're, we, we just put it out in the open. Like I am physically killing myself with all these men. I am physically killing myself with this bottle of alcohol. And I feel like people that don't understand addiction haven't hit their knees yet and might not in this lifetime. That might not be their journey. How do you feel about porn? How do you feel about culture? I'm, I'm saying not porn itself, but like how culture portrays porn. Like what would make it better? How do we make this better? I mean, that's the million dollar question. Honestly, you know, I've done a lot of research and talked to a lot of people and porn is is an epidemic right now in our society. It's killing intimacy. It is the amount of porn that is out there, the fantasy, the women you know, suppressing women, the abuse that is shown on porn these days is killing our society. They say with young young men, you know, and my son's three and a half, and they say in three years, he's going to watch porn mm. from if he has a game or he's at mm. someone's house. They say it's as young. Kids, boys are watching it from six to eight is when they first view porn. And what is happening is desensitizing their brains. So when they get their first handhold or first crush of somebody, they're desensitized. They've already seen images that have taken away that innocence. And I saw things way too young. I saw images in magazines. I saw, you know, Romeo and Juliet was my favorite movie when I was six and seven. And I saw things I shouldn't have. And I, I really think our culture needs to reexamine the availability of porn, the type of porn that's out there. And it's fantasy. And I think we need to teach our kids that it's fantasy. If they're going to see it, they're going to see it. So you open the conversation. Say, hey, if you see these images, that's not what real sexuality looks like. That's not what your first sexual experience is going to look like. It's never going to look like that. And I think we need to keep porn in the fantasy capacity, just like movies. I'm an actor. Porn actresses are actresses. It's not real. You're, those moans aren't real. <laughs> like, So I just feel like it's damaging society. And I have to tell you, a lot of young men are coming in, not being able to keep relationships, not being able to have sex. They're finding mm. themselves impotent at 19 years old. Because you can't come into sex and love addiction if you're under... 18. You can't come in. So mm. I'm seeing it that young right now. That's crazy. So you're going to 12 meetings a week. So some of them mm -hmm. you're running or sponsoring somebody. I, I imagine you must people. hear the craziest. No, I bet I bet it'll make <laughs> your head. I didn't turn. even put, I mean, you've, you've read the book, like the stories in there are not even the worst stories. And there's crazy stories. I mean, you can tell me anything and I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, what else, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing. We all think we're different, but we're really not. We all have done things, like I said, we're not proud of or put ourselves in situations we wish we hadn't. And it's like, me too, man. Like, I'm in this with you. And yeah, I hear some crazy, crazy shit. <laughs> I bet. And so speaking of crazy shit, uh, your mm -hmm. podcast, Secret Life Podcast, tell us the premise of it. I think it's amazing. Okay, so... After the Huff Post article, when I was rewriting the book, I woke up in a month after the pandemic hit and I had this realization, oh my God, when I let go of that last bit of shame and stigma with the Huff Post article, 
I felt like this freedom, even after all that year of recovery, all those years of recovery. And I just go, oh my God, Secret Life Podcast, letting other people share their past or present secrets. So I got a microphone and I just started interviewing people and I I put it out there and had people all over the world. And majority of our guests are anonymous. I changed their names. So I would say like 80% of our guests are anonymous. And it's, you know, every type of secret, you know, getting sexually assaulted from their OBGYN right after giving birth mm. to their son, you know, assaulted by a police officer, raped by their high school boyfriend, um, shooting themselves in a shotgun in their chest, trying trying to get perfectionism and trying to kill themselves and t- talking me through how that was after the bullet went through their chest. But then his light seekers, like stealing food from Whole Foods, you know, to like being obsessed with reality TV or lying on your resume as an actor and then going on set and not knowing what you're doing. You know, so it's like all these different secrets, all walks of life. And it's at every ethnicity, every sexuality coming out closet of the closet. I mean, I'm so proud of our show. We've done 67 episodes um, I have 80 more already recorded. So we have enough for a year and a half. And my husband and I are just really trying to be of service to other people and show that you are not alone. That's the most thing. When you know you're not alone and you share your secret or something you're holding in with somebody else, it's this beautiful thing happens. And I have to tell you, probably 95% of my guests had a breakthrough afterwards. And it's just I like- I was just about to ask that. Yeah. 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 Like people have gone into AA. People have given up relationships they were holding on to. People have like stepped in. I mean, it's insane the amount of change. But then my listeners, because it's really about the listeners. It's not about me and it's not about my guest. And the listeners, you know, reaching out every day how much this episode helped them or that happened to them too or that happened to their mom. I mean, it's just like one of the best things I've ever done. And my whole point of the episodes is tell me your secrets and I'll tell you mine. So every episode, I try to reveal something about myself that I haven't revealed so that the guests... Big-ass closet of skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all do. I mean, they say the average human holds about 13 secrets. Mm. Uh, and I think we talked about this before uh, we started recording, but you grew up being the guy's girl, you know, and mm-hmm. you are not now. You are such a big advocate for women and for sharing, you know, for voice. And, yeah. uh, and I appreciate that in you. And one thing I saw that um, I just loved that you did for yourself, and you said one of the most healing things you married yourself. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah. I mean, I write about it in chapter 12, and it was this magical moment when I really got through you know, the withdrawal of my recovery, which was nine brutal months. And I had this moment of like, society is always telling us to find our other person, right? To like find that person to fix us, complete us, our soulmate. And it just was like, no, I am. I live and die with myself. No one else is going with me. No one else was born with me and no one else is dying with me. And if I don't love myself completely, then what's the point of this lifetime? So I had this magical moment in the backyard with, it was raining and I got to make vows to myself things I would never do ever again. I would honor myself. All the things you would tell a partner, I told myself. And yeah, it, 
every time I get to that chapter, I always start crying. I mean, it was really hard to record for the audiobook, but yeah. Did you feel a shift? I did. I did. Yeah. I think that's such a cool idea too. And I think that more and more people are waking up to that thought of, again, the validation thing of, of not necessarily living in the shame spiral, but, but realizing that we're enough without yeah. needing the validation, needing to hit whatever goal, like goals are, are like so far in a rear view mirror kind of thing of just, it's, it, we, um, which is such a liberating thing. It's just, how do you, how do you unlock it? And I, I'd be, I'd be curious to get your advice to anybody who might be struggling with this or anybody who just struggles with validation. What is the one big lesson that you learned that could, that could change the culture? I mean, that is, isn't that the million dollar question? Cause what yeah. could work for one person doesn't work for another person. But I think if you are doing anything that you are shameful of, are keeping a secret, are telling lies, are not being truthful, that's a sign that there's something going on internally that you don't fully accept you as you are. And I think the moment you can stand in your truth and just be and say, I'm okay exactly where I am. I don't have to get that job. I don't have to get that partner. I don't have to get that car, the money, whatever society tells us we need. And you can stand there and say, I am enough just as I am. I am born on this planet and I am lovable. I don't need anyone to tell me they love me. Even my parents, you know, I come a very traumatic background. So I don't need anybody's validation to feel like a whole person. I am enough just as I am. And I think digging through that trauma, digging through the reasons why we reach outside of ourselves is what gave me the internal strength to stand in that self-love. You have to do the work. You can't just take baths at night, take yourself on a walk on a beach. But those little acts help. Like I took myself to a nice restaurant by myself. I bought myself really nice flowers. I went to a movie date, which I've never done before, and I talk about it in the book. But it also has to be that internal digging that you have to do because the moment you do that and you really see who you are and what you value and you trust your instincts and you don't let people come into your life that are unavailable or friends that are unavailable or letting your even family abuse you or be unavailable. The moment you can look at all those situations and say, enough, I have these boundaries. If you do not show up for me, I'm going to let this relationship go, or I'm going to let this situation go, or this job go, and stand in that truth. That's when you develop that true self-love. Yes, queen. That is the perfect place. (laughs) Where can people find you? What a perfect place to wrap up. Where can people find you? And maybe they want to share a secret with you. Oh, I would love that. You can find me at the Brienne Davis on Instagram. I try to answer all of my DMs. You can go to TikTok at the dot Brianne Davis. You can go to Secret Life Novel. Everything's there. You can find the email, you know, Secret Life Podcast at iCloud.com if you want to be on the show. Yeah. And, you know, the book is on Amazon worldwide, or you can buy a signed copy on SecretLifeNovel.com. But yeah, I'm around. Reach out. If anything, <laughs> it resonates. If you need a meeting, if you need advice, just reach out to me and I'll try to point you in the right place. Well, Brienne, this has been illuminating and I'm just in awe of your strength and the work that you've done for yourself and for other people. It really matters because what you do 
multiplies and that is how culture changes. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. <laughs> Rianne, you are such a gem, so wise. You've done so much work and have been such an incredible support for others. I really am in awe of you and your journey. Thank you so much for being on my show. Y'all go buy your book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. It's actually really funny and she is truly going raw on the details. You can subscribe to her podcast, The Secret Life Podcast, and I'll link it in the show notes. And to you, thank you. Thank you for supporting me, my guests in this show. I live for the feedback and ideas that I get from you in my DMs. Make sure you follow me on the socials and tell me a topic that is important to you. Maybe we can solve some of these problems together on the future on future episodes. And of course, please share this. Please think of a few friends that would really be interested in this topic or maybe get uh, you know, maybe get a laugh out of some of the stories. And if you haven't done it yet, go subscribe to my blog at allisonhair.com. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.